Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. Scriptures in hand and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 9 in just a moment. We are concluding today our series, Refined, and today's message is titled, Don't Be Fooled by Fool's Gold. Don't Be Fooled by Fool's Gold. Have you ever heard of the phrase, all that glitters is not gold? You know, it means that everything that looks good and attractive is not necessarily good. Amen? And did you know that there's actually something that's called fool's gold? And people often find this counterfeit when they're searching for real gold. Fool's gold is actually a mineral that's called iron pyrite. And it's worth practically nothing. But it's often mistaken for true gold. Because iron pyrite glitters like gold. And you know what? It's a whole lot easier to find because it's a whole lot more common. There's a whole lot more of it than real gold. And it's particularly found in areas where gold is found. And many people have found one of these shiny chunks of worthless stone and they have begun to celebrate thinking they just hit it rich. They're going to be a millionaire. But their joy was short-lived when they took it to one of those people that are in metallurgy and they had it tested and they had it appraised and the goldsmith informs them, this is not gold at all. It's full gold, fool's gold. It's a worthless, shiny piece of rock. How disappointing, amen? And there's one sure way to test or prove whether a piece of rock or ore is real gold or fool's gold, and that is to place it in the refiner's fire. Because fool's gold will burn away at much lower temperatures than real gold. And sadly, fool's gold describes some people's faith. It is a faith that takes a lot easier path. You don't have to dig deep to find it. But when the trials come, that kind of faith is proven worthless. It can't endure. It says, oh God, you disappointed me. You didn't do what I thought you were going to do. You didn't prevent me from having trial. You didn't prevent me from having hardship. You didn't keep me from suffering. So you know what, God, you must not be real. So I don't believe in you. You see, fool's gold faith cannot be tested because it, it... falls by the wayside. You abandon that kind of faith. It's not genuine faith. But God wants to ensure that our faith is genuine like real gold. Read with me, if you will, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a while. You know, trials are limited, right? They always have an expiration date, an end point. So he says, though you must endure many trials for a little while. Turn to your neighbor and say, trials are for a little while. Turn to your other neighbor and say, trials are for a little while. Amen. So folks, if you're going through a trial right now, there's an end coming. Can you say amen to that? Praise the Lord. So he says, there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is 
genuine amen when you pass through the trial and you keep trusting god and you come out on the other side what does it prove that your faith is real amen he says it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is far more precious than mere gold so when your faith remains strong through many trials it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. Verse 8 says, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Peter describes the tests that we go through as the, he uses the imagery of the purifying of gold in the refiner's fire. And we know that gold is one of the most precious metals on earth. Some of you are wearing it right now, and it costs you a pretty penny if it's real. This stuff is not real. This stuff is costume jewelry. If this stuff was real, I, I would sell it, and I'd be in Hawaii somewhere having a nice vacation, amen, because this would be a lot of gold. <laughs> But, you know, some of you, you have real gold on, and it costs you a pretty penny. Gold is one of the most expensive uh, metals on earth. And the Bible compares true faith to gold that is tried by the fire of trials and suffering. And the main theme of 1 Peter is suffering, as he was writing to Christians who were enduring great persecution during that period of time some of them were being killed some of them were losing their home some of them were being imprisoned they were going through a lot of suffering because of their faith and peter encourages them and us with the hope that the sufferings of this earthly life will all be left behind one day and we will have inexpressible joy in eternity in the present however he tells us suffering is normal. I didn't hear an amen. It's true though, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, suffering is normal. Suffering is normal. And it's necessary. It's a necessary part of the Christian life. But we can rejoice even in the midst of suffering when we understand and trust the good purpose to which God is working in our lives in the midst of our present trials. And Peter tells us the reality that is taking place behind our trials. He tells us the reason for our trials. And he tells us the ultimate reward of our trials. First of all, let's look at the reality. Trials verify our faith. He tells us to, elsewhere in 1 Peter, he tells us, don't be surprised by adversity. Be prepared for it. Don't be surprised. Be prepared. The reality is that bad things happen to everybody, Christian and non-Christian, because we live in a sin-fallen world that is under the dominion of Satan. And that's the source of all bad things. So everybody goes through suffering and difficulty and painful experiences and Christians are not exempt so it's not a matter of will it happen but when will it happen and what will it be I don't want to burst anybody's bubble 
But that's the reality of life. Amen? And there really are only two groups of people in the world. Those that are coming out of a trial and those that are going into a trial. Those are the only two groups of people. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Amen? You're going to have trials. All right? Christians through time, have wrestled with the question of why a good, loving, and all-powerful God would allow suffering and pain. We assume that God's love and power should move him to protect us from all bad things. Amen? But as Christians, we have the extraordinary privilege of a God who speaks, and has spoken to us through the inspired words of Scripture, revealing truth to us about who he is and how he works in the world and in our lives. And his word indeed tells us that he is good. We sang it earlier. He is good all the time. He's not just good in the good times. He is good all the time. He is good, he is loving, he's all-powerful, he's merciful, he's gracious, and he's many other wonderful things that we read in the Word. Amen? And the Bible also tells us that he created a world that was good, and it was very good, and in, originally there was no suffering, there was no sickness, there was no pain. That was God's original intention for mankind. But then what happened? We messed it up. Adam and Eve messed it up for us initially, amen? And, in the, and we all mess up our own lives by our own choices. But they messed it up. Satan came in the garden. He tempted them. They made the choice to reject God and, and accept Satan's temptation. And as a result, they opened the door to evil in this world. Because by default, you're either surrendered to God or you're surrendered to Satan. And so by default, when they rejected God's authority, they surrendered to Satan. And they forfeited control of this earth that was under them. Because God had given them dominion over the earth, right? And when they submitted themselves to Satan by accepting his temptation, they forfeited dominion over this earth. And now Satan has dominion over the earth. But the good news is that through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, our sins can be forgiven. We can be restored to right relationship with God. But even though we're restored to right relationship with God, how many of you know God does not immediately take us out of this sin-fallen world when we are saved, right? And there are many reasons why he leaves us here. He leaves us here to be a witness to those that don't yet know him so that they can be forgiven and they can have a relationship with him. But he doesn't take us out of this world immediately. And that means that if we continue in this sin-fallen world that's under the dominion of Satan, that we are going to at times experience trials, difficulties, and adversities. However, we will also, as Christians, experience the work of God in our life, transforming us, restoring us, and making us who he has called us to be. God will redeem every suffering, every trial, every pain, and he will bring good out of it, amen, when we trust him. Hallelujah. One of my favorite verses, you can probably quote it with me, but God is working in all things 
for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that God calls that thing or that God wanted us to go through that thing. But when we trust him, he'll take that thing that was the most painful and dark thing in our life and he will turn it around and he will bring good out of it for us. Amen. Hallelujah. God is working in all things. In how many things? All things. Even the painful things, even the hard things, even the difficult things, God is working. God never says, oops, I didn't know that was going to happen to you. And now I don't know what to do about it. This is a terrible mess we're in. No, God knows all things. He didn't cause it, he didn't send it, but he knew it. And God also has a plan. He has a plan to work in it. And to turn it around for your good and for his glory. Amen. So we can trust that God has a plan. God is in control, especially if we surrendered our life to him. God makes no mistakes and he knows exactly what he is doing in our lives. Just like in one of our previous messages, we talked about the goldsmith knowing exactly how hot to turn up the fire, to the heat to, to uh, purify the gold, and he knows how many times to put it through the purifying process so that it's not destroyed, but rather it's purified and made more valuable. God knows exactly what he's doing in our life, and he's working through every trial for our benefit. Amen? And suffering not only purifies our faith, but it verifies our faith. Peter speaks about how the fire purifies gold, but then in verse 7, he also says these trials will show that your faith is genuine. The fire of trial exposes superficial faith, and it reveals genuine faith. You remember Jesus told the parable of the sower who went out and he sowed seed, and it was the same seed, but it fell on four different types of soil. And on one type of soil, it was fertile soil, and it grew. But on the, uh, and, and it bore fruit. But on the other types of soil, eventually it was either stolen by the birds or it withered away. Well, he said that these are people who hear the word. The soil fell on each ground, people hearing the word. But in one instance, the soil fell on rocky ground and it immediately sprang up, but it had no depth of roots in the soil. So when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, these people immediately fall away because they have no deep roots of faith. Amen? Many people accept Christ thinking that it means a trouble-free life. You know, it's kind of like that movie, Hakuna Matata. You know, everything is going to be happy and it's going to be a trouble-free life. Wasn't that a part of the song? I won't try to sing it for you, amen. But anyway, um, you know, we think, oh, because I accept Jesus, it's a free pass. I'm going to have a trouble-free life. And then adversity comes and they get knocked off their feet. They're shocked by it and they fall away from their faith, amen. Counterfeit faith. That's counterfeit faith. And counterfeit faith can look a lot like real faith until it passes through the fire of trial. Remember we talked about fool's gold? It glitters and shines, and it looks a whole lot like real gold. But if you put it in the fire, it burns and turns into ashes. It's not worth anything. Real gold is proven or verified as it passes through the fire, and it doesn't burn up. And as it passes through the fire, it becomes more valuable because the impurities are burnt out. 
You know, the word trial comes from the Greek word that means to test or to prove. And God uses fiery trials to test and to prove our faith, to verify our faith, whether it's genuine or it's counterfeit. And he's proving our faith not for his benefit because God knows all things. Let me tell you something. God knows whether your faith is real or it's counterfeit. So he's not testing us for his sake. He's testing us for our sake. Amen? And, and, and so God allows us to pass through the fiery trial to prove to us and others whether our faith is real or it's counterfeit. When fiery trials comes and our faith grows stronger, because that's God's intent, is that our faith would grow stronger, right? With the trial, James chapter 1, with the trial, the enemy sends the trial to destroy us, to cause us to cast off our faith. But in that same trial, God is working. He'll use what the enemy meant for evil, and he'll turn it for good. So the enemy sends the trial, he sends the pain, he sends the suffering to destroy us and to make us cast off our faith in God. But God says, I'm going to use the very thing the enemy sent against you, and I'm going to turn it around for you. As you go through it, I'm going to give you the grace so that your faith will grow stronger, so that your life will be purified, amen, and you'll come out on the other side and you'll see how strong your faith really is because you will also see how you can trust me because I was with you in the fire and I brought you out of the fire, so your faith is going to be unshakable. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord. That's the end to which God is working in our lives through the fiery trials. He wants to demonstrate to us and to the world that our faith is genuine, that that which we have placed our faith in is real and true. He wants the world to see it. He wants us to know it. The reality is that trials verify our faith. Now, the second thing that Peter tells us is the reason for our trials, the reason. Trials are a platform for God's glory. Trials put God's glory on display. And, and one incident where we see that uh, uh, illustrated in Scripture is in John 9. And I'm going to read these three verses for you. John 9, 1 through 3. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. You know, the disciples encounter this situation, and they want to have a religious debate. They're not interested in helping the man. Jesus is going to heal the man as we read on through the chapter. But, you know, instead they're wanting to have a theological debate. You know, what's the reason behind suffering? Is it because this person sinned? Or maybe their parents did some terrible thing and it cursed their child. Well, we know in a general sense, and again, I reiterate that, in a general sense, all sickness, all suffering is a result of mankind's sin, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean, sometimes it can be, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's because of a specific sin that this person has committed, right? But instead of trying to help this man and alleviate his suffering, the disciples just want to have a theological discussion. You know, we can do that sometimes in the church, amen? Instead of being a solution, we just want to talk about the reason for things happening, amen? 
So the disciples are looking for a reason for suffering. Why? Because they want somebody to blame. You know, if it's him, well, he deserved to be in that condition. If it's his parents, well, you know what? It, it, it's their problem because they did something bad and, and that's why their kid, uh, uh, their son is suffering. And, and while there are times that suffering is the consequence of a person's wrongdoing, as we said, suffering is a normal part of our human existence in a sinful and Satan-dominated world, right? We said that before, right? Suffering is normal. It's a normal part of living in this world. God does not cause suffering but he will use it as a platform to display his power. Amen? God delights to work in the midst of our trials, and the harder the trial, the better, because it brings him greater glory. Amen? Remember the story of Gideon in the Old Testament? Gideon starts with an army that's already outnumbered one to five against the Midianites. And the Midianites are coming against Israel. They're going to destroy Israel. And, and, and God tells Gideon, you mighty man of courage, I'm calling you to lead your people out in battle. And when he says, you mighty man of courage, Gideon was hiding and he was threshing his grain in hiding for fear of the enemy. And when God says, mighty man of valor, Gideon is like, who are you talking? Because he knows he doesn't have courage. But God is speaking that into him. And he says, I'm calling you to lead your people. So Gideon makes a call throughout the land for men to come and fight. And men come out, but they're surely not enough. It's out, they're outnumbered one to five against the Midianites. The odds are already not good. And, and, and you're even looking at those, gods, at those odds, one to five, and you're saying, God, there's no way. And then God comes along, and God tells Gideon, you know what? You have too many men. Say what? Yeah, yeah, you have too many men. I want you to test the men now, have them drink water, and the ones that, that they go down and lap the water like a dog, you send them home. The ones that take their hand and cup it, you keep those. And so Gideon does it, and he ends up telling, you know, 22,000 men to go home, leaving only 10,000 men to fight against how many Midianites? 135,000. Man, the odds just got worse. God, I thought when you got involved, things were supposed to get better. And God says, you know what, Gideon? You still have too many men. Huh? And God, God tells Gideon to tell all the men who want to go home to go home. Huh? And guess what? Gideon ends up with only 300 men. And God says, you know what? That's good. Because you know what? If you kept 10,000 men and you fought against them and you won, you would say, we did it. We won the victory. But now with only 300 men against 135,000 men, when I give you the victory, you're going to know that I am the one who did it. And the Moabite, the, the Midianites, they're going to know that I'm the one who did it. Amen. Folks, God doesn't send our trials, but sometimes he doesn't rescue us immediately. And the situation goes from bad to worse. Why? Because he wants to show us and the world that he alone is the one who rescues, that he might receive all 
the glory. Amen. He wants us and the world to see that in ourselves we do not have the power, we do not have the ability to overcome whatever the problem is, that it is a thing that God alone could have done so that he alone will get all the glory. I love one of the songs where it says, this is a thing that the Lord has done and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's what God wants to happen. When, he move, when the situation is so bad, 300 to 135,000, and it looks impossible, and then God comes through and he gives the victory, and we stand back and we say, this is a thing that the Lord has done, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen? Praise the Lord. Trials are a platform to put God's power on display, but trials are producing a testimony in our lives. As we go through trials, the world is watching. They're looking to see if our faith will give us joy, peace, and strength in the midst of our storm. I told you a couple weeks ago when I was undergoing chemo, and there was this one lady, her last name was Machado, and she was so filled with anxiety over having cancer and the treatments she was going through and the Memorial Hospital District, they were doing the best that they could with what they know to help her. They were sending her to yoga classes and meditation classes and acupuncture and who knows what else. And, and she was telling the chemo nurse, none of it's working. I can't even sleep at night. But then one day she said to me, she said, you know, I've been watching you. And you have such peace as you're going through this. She said, that's what I need. And, and I was able to minister to her the whole day. Then when I underwent radiation, I was able to minister every day when I was going for radiation. And I ministered to one of the girls that was setting me up on the radiation table. As she was setting me up on the radiation table, the Lord said, you know, I want you to speak to her. So I started a conversation with her. And I was like, hey, you know, hey, how are you doing? And, I, and um. That's all I needed to say. She started to cry. And she started to tell me her whole story. You know, she had been with a married man. She got pregnant. minute she got pregnant, he took off. She had the baby. She's all alone now. She doesn't have any family down here and how hard it is. And, blah. and she's just crying. And I'm on the radiation table. And I'm like, Lord, please don't make her mess up and put the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus, you know. So she tells me her whole life story there and I start talking to her about the Lord and she just starts crying even more and, and I, I prayed with her and, and um, I, I uh, tried to you know, talk to her about some of the things that she can do you know, uh, with the Lord to find help and grace and peace. You know? And a, a couple weeks later when I was having, it was my last, the week before my last week of radiation, I got a Bible in an easy to understand translation for her and another radiology tech and I had ministered to the other one as well, and I wrote in there a thank you in the front. I inscribed it and said, thank you so much for your kindness towards me during this difficult journey. You made it a lot easier, and blah, 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 and I, you know, I gave it to them. They both started to cry when I handed them the Bible. They hugged me, and they said, you know, you are so different than all the patients that come in here. You have an aura about you. When you come in here, you have, they didn't have spiritual terminology, so they're using, you know, this kind of mysticism terminology about an aura, but they were saying, you have an aura of such peace and joy when you come in here, you know? And, and they had been watching me, and they saw the difference that Christ makes in my life, and that made them open. And the next week when I came in, the, the, the girl that had been crying the week before when she set me up on the machine, she's setting me up on the machine again and she comes in real near to my ear and she says, you know that book that you gave me? 
And I said, yeah, well, the Bible, you know. And she said, I keep it on my nightstand and I'm reading it every night before I go to bed. And she said, and I'm finding such peace. And she said, and I actually went to a church last week with my daughter. She lived up in Deerfield, so this was too far for her. She said, I went to a church with my daughter last week and she said, I think that we're gonna start going there. Can you say praise the Lord, amen? That's why I'm telling you, God will redeem the worst thing in your life, the most painful thing in your life, and if you'll trust him, he will turn it around for your good and for his glory, amen. It's producing a testimony through you, hallelujah. And when you go through something, you know, you've been telling people maybe here and there, I'm a Christian or whatever, you tell your family, you tell people at work and everything, and then when you're going through something, they start watching to see if your faith will work. You know, will that Jesus you've been telling me about, will he be enough for you? Will he get you through this? And they're watching you whether you know it or not. And trials give us an opportunity to speak to others both by the way we live and through our words. And we are able to share with them the hope that is within us through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, if we go through our trials and, and we have a bad attitude and we're all stressed out and, and, and downcast and... People are going to say, see, I knew what you were talking about wasn't for real. I knew God is not for real. Am I, am I right? Amen. One devotional writer states, without a test, there can be no real testimony. Unless we have been tried in the fire, our testimony has little or no meaning. You know, I could stand up here and say, you know what? My life has been perfect. I've never had any sufferings in my life. You need to trust Jesus. And you'll say, uh-huh, yeah, you don't know what I'm going through. You know, but when I get up here and I say, folks, I've gone through what you've gone through. I've been where you've been. I've suffered this. I've gone through that. Then you start to perk up and say, hey, am I right? So he says, can be no real, uh, without a test, there can be no real testimony unless we have been tried in the fire. Our testimony has little or no meaning. When we go through the fires of life, our testimonies are not based on theories, but on real life knowledge of how God brought us through. Hallelujah. Folks, you can't talk about what you don't know. And unless you have known God in the midst of the fire... You can't talk about the one who walks with the fourth man in the fire. Amen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out and they said, oh, Jesus was with us in the fire. And guess what? Their words carried weight because uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and his guards, they saw the fourth man in the fire and they saw them come out of the fire without even the smell of smoke. And so their testimony carried weight. And Nebuchadnezzar said, there is no God like the God of Israel. And I want everybody to worship him. Hallelujah. Folks, when you go through the fire and God stood with you in the midst of the fire, you come out and you have a story to tell, amen? And uh, you have a God to glorify about what you've gone through and how faithful you found him to be. Hallelujah. God wants to turn your test into a testimony for his glory. Thirdly, Peter tells us about the reward. Trials are storing up for us a reward in heaven, amen? Enduring in faith through trial increases our eternal reward. Verse 7 says, so when your faith remains strong, 
through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world is his second coming. Because when he comes in the rapture, the whole world is not going to see him, right? Only the Christians. We're going to be caught away. And the world is going to the, the unsaved are going to remain on this earth. They're going to ungo, undergo a horrible seven years of tribulation. But at the second coming, every eye will behold him who they pierced. Amen. And they're going to see him coming in great glory. When Christ returns, he will judge every person who has ever lived. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, that's the unsaved, those who have not accepted Jesus Christ, they are going to be judged and they're going to be doomed to an eternity of suffering in the lake of fire. Folks, that's why we need to do everything that we can do to tell as many people as we can about Jesus so that they can avoid that eternity of torment. Now, those who have trusted Christ and remain faithful, we're also going to stand before him in judgment, not at the great white throne judgment, but at the judgment seat of Christ. We're already in heaven, amen? We're already in his presence. Our eternal uh, habitation, our per eternal dwelling in heaven is already determined, not by anything we have done, but because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our savior. But even though our salvation and our, uh, our uh, promise of heaven is based just on the free gift of salvation. Our reward in heaven is based on the way we've lived our life. Amen? In Matthew 16, 27, it says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to their works. And again, in 1 Corinthians 4 through 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Here in this passage, he's talking about, um, you know, the judgment again. And he's talking about, you know, God exposes even the things that have been done in darkness. And God exposes the true motivations of our heart. Amen. Other people can't see our heart, but God sees our heart, amen? And, and his judgment will de be determined by that. And those whose heart has been found pure towards the Lord, guess what? We will each receive praise. God is gonna praise us. One of the ways he praises us, remember Jesus said in Matthew 25, when we've lived for him down here and, and in, in the parable of the talents, and he comes back, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's praising us, right? He's honoring us. How many of you want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, amen? Praise the Lord. The goal is to grow through the trials we experience here on earth, to remain faithful and serve God even in the midst of those trials, so that one day we will receive that eternal praise, that eternal reward, and that it will be as big as it possibly can be in heaven. You know why? Because then we're going to turn around and we're going to take that reward and we're going to lay it down at his feet. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord, because he's so worthy. Amen. Enduring in faith through trial also ensures our salvation. Verse 9, the reward for trusting him will be what? The salvation of your souls. What do you mean the reward? I thought salvation was by grace through faith. I thought it was just a free gift. What he's talking about here is 
salvation is not a one-time event where we come to an altar or we sit with somebody and we pray what we commonly call the sinner's prayer, right? Where we repent of our sins and we place our faith in Jesus and we say, Lord, forgive me and come and live inside. Okay, that's the beginning of the saving work of God in our life. But do you know that Paul speaks about salvation in three tenses? Past, present, and future. When he speaks of it in the past, he says, you were saved. What does he mean? The moment you prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you were saved. But then he says, you are being saved. What is that? That's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we walk day by day in faith, trusting God and surrendering to him. And sometimes as we're walking, we walk through the fire. But we need to continue to trust him in the fire because that is where the salvation of our soul. Folks, it's not the person who begins the race. It's the person who ends the race that receives the reward. Amen? A lot of people start the race, but they fall off. So have you ever seen those marathons? Some people fall off along the way, right? They can't, they can't do the full, whatever, 26.5 uh, miles or whatever it is. I know I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I may be able to do the first two or three, <laughs> but after that, you'd see me falling off. But not everybody finishes the race. But it's only those that finish the race, that cross the finish line, that receive the reward. Amen? And what he's telling us here is, you gotta, you got to walk it every single day. you got to trust me every single day. You know, when they're running those marathon races, there's times where their muscles cramp and they have to press beyond the pain. You know? And sometimes when we're running the marathon, because folks, life is not a sprint. Serving Jesus is not a sprint. You know, those sprint races, they're over with in a matter of a couple of minutes, right? Or, and we wish that it was just like that, that life would be just a straight shot to the finish line. But it's not. It's a marathon. And sometimes when somebody's running a marathon, there's painful times. They have to press beyond the pain in order to endure and make it to the finish line. And that's what he's telling us here. The reward for trusting him, the reward for holding fast to him in faith when we go through the fire is the salvation of our souls. Because if we cast off our faith in the fire, we lose everything. We lose everything. So we receive salvation when we accept Jesus, but our salvation will not be complete until he returns and receives us unto himself and makes everything new. In Matthew 24, 9 through 12, it says, uh, Jesus was speaking about how hard it's going to get for Christians in the end time. Folks, it's going to get hard. It's going to get hard. It's already getting there. It's already getting there. And, and he says how they're going to suffer persecution. They're going to be hated. Folks, it's already getting there. Even here in the United States, it's already getting there. Um, false teaching is going to deceive many. Folks, we are already there. Sin would be rampant. Folks, we're already there. And the love of many would grow cold. You know, where, where people don't even have a natural love. You see how people treat one another? It's horrible. You know, and, and the love of many has grown cold. There, there's no respect even for human life, the, the common dignity of human life. They'll kill somebody over no, nothing, you know? And, and, and we see these things already taking place. These hardships, Jesus says, will cause many 
to what? Fall away from the faith or harden their heart towards God. A lot of people, when they go through trials or they see trials or suffering in the world, they harden their heart against God. But in verse 13, Jesus says, but the one who what? Endures to the end will be saved. I'll say it again. It's not the person who starts the race of salvation. It's the person who endures to the end. A lot of people may begin well, but the, as I said, the Bible often uses the image of a race to describe the Christian life. A lot of people begin well, but they don't end. They don't finish. They don't endure. Hebrews 12:2 says, let us cast off every sin and weight that so easily hinders us. Because you never see somebody running in the Olympics with a backpack. Amen? I mean, they have on as little clothes as they can possibly put on and still be on TV. And, 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 and he says, let us weigh aside, lay aside every sin and weight, you know, that does so easily hinders us, that weighs us down. Things that are not important. Folks, we hold on to such things in our life that are not important. We hold on to bitterness. We hold on to unforgiveness. We hold on to resentment. This person did that. This person said that. And all of that stuff's weighting us down. And we're trying to run the race. Ugh. You never, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to crash underneath all that weight. So he says, let us lay aside every sin and weight that does so easily hinder us. And let us run with what? Endurance. The race that God has set before us. We need to be able to endure to the end. And say like Paul when he was facing the end of his life, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is laid up for me a crown. He was waiting on that reward. Amen. Faith that endures the fire of trials proves to be genuine, and it guarantees or ensures our salvation. I want to share a poem titled The Oak Tree, and it says, A mighty wind blew night and day. It stole the oak tree's leaves away, then snapped its bows and pulled its bark until the oak was tired and stark. But still the oak tree held its ground while other trees fell all around. The weary wind gave up and spoke, how can you still be standing, oak? The oak tree said, I know that you can break each branch of mine in two, carry every leaf away, shake my limbs and make me sway. But I have roots stretched deep in the earth, growing stronger since my birth. You'll never touch them, for you see, they are the deepest part of me. Until today, I wasn't sure just how much I could endure. But now I've found... With thanks to you, I'm stronger than I ever knew. What a beautiful poem. And I ask you, how deeply rooted are you in Christ? And do you have a faith that it can endure the fieriest of trials? A faith that will glorify God and be a testimony to others. A faith that will stand strong to the end and one day, be praised and rewarded by God when you stand before his throne. Today, let us make a commitment to God to put roots of faith deep down in him that with his help, we can endure whatever comes our way and grow and stand firm in our faith to the end. And the first step of living a life of genuine saving faith 
that glorifies God, that endures to the end and ensures our salvation is to place our faith in Jesus Christ and repent of our sins. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me if you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I want to have a relationship with God. I want my sins to be forgiven and I want to know that I'm in right relationship with God, that I'm saved from my sins, that one day I will spend eternity with him. And if you would say today, pray for me, pastor. I want to come to Jesus. Or maybe you did so several years ago, you've drifted away and you wanna come back and you'd say, pray for me, pastor. I wanna come back to Jesus. I wanna place my faith in him. I want my sins to be forgiven. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and just say, pray for me, pastor. I wanna come to Jesus. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for another hand. Is there anyone else? Thank you for another hand. Is there anyone else? Hallelujah. Thank you for another hand and another hand. Is there anyone else? Praise the Lord. Thank you for another hand. Amen. Praise the Lord. We've got about seven people that have put their hand up. Praise God. Can you say amen? I'm going to ask those of you that just raised your hand to do one more thing. I'm just going to ask you to say a simple prayer with me. It's not my words, but it's your heart in sincerity, asking God to forgive you and placing your faith in him. I'm going to ask the whole church to pray along with those that are praying it for the first time this morning as an encouragement. Would you pray this prayer with me, dear Jesus? I believe that you are the son of God. And I believe that you love me so much that you died for my sins. Today, I repent. I turn away from my sinful life and I turn to you in faith. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins and I invite you to come live inside of me and help me from this day forward to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. If you prayed that prayer, we want to congratulate you. Amen. You just made the best decision of your life. And it, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Today is your spiritual birthday and you have been born into the family of God. We welcome you. We want to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. The prayer you just prayed is the first step. It's the beginning point. And like we said, you know, our, our walk with the Lord is a marathon. It's for the long haul. We want to help you to continue to progress in your relationship with the Lord. We want to send you free of charge a little book that will help you to understand the prayer you just prayed and the next step that you need to take to continue moving forward with the Lord. We want to send it to you free of charge. To do that, we need your email address. So if you've got your cell phone with you, if you would take it out and just text your email address to the number on the screen, you can do that right now if you would. And we will email you a little bit later that book free of charge. But once again, we congratulate you on making the best decision of your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. At this time, I want to talk to those of us who've already accepted Jesus Christ. And some of you, I know, as I look out on you today, you are in the midst of the fiery furnace. And if we're not in the midst of it, I hate to burst anybody's bubble, but there's one in our future, should Jesus tarry. And, and when we face the fire of trial, we need to pray and ask God to help us to endure the fire of trial, to hold fast to our faith in him, so that our faith can be proven genuine so that our faith can be a testimony to the world and so that we can endure to the end, ensuring our salvation and receiving our reward in his presence. If you would say today, I want the kind of faith, the real faith 
that can endure the fire of trial and can be proven genuine. If that's your heart's desire, would you stand to your feet and just come to this altar for a few moments as we pray and consecrate ourselves to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for every trial you've brought us through to this point. Thank you that you will not abandon us now. Thank you that you will be faithful to us to the very end. Hallelujah. Just speak to the Lord from your heart and make that commitment, make that prayer that you might have that kind of faith that is genuine, that will endure through the fiery trial, that will hold fast to him and be a testimony to others. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for each and every person that is responding to your word this morning with an open heart and a readiness of spirit to say, Lord, I want that kind of fire, that kind of faith. I want the kind of faith that can go through the fire and that can come out stronger, that can come out purified, Lord God. Father, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit and by your grace to have a genuine faith that can hold fast to you and trust you in the midst of trial and difficulty, Lord God, that we will not cast off of our faith, Lord God, but that we will cling to you all the more so that our faith will grow stronger in the midst of the fire, Lord God, and so that our lives may be a testimony to others, Lord, to point them to you both while we're in the fire and that we can tell of it when we come out of the fire so that others will know that you are real, Lord God, that you are faithful, that you still work today, Lord God. Father, help us to walk in faith and endure so that our salvation will be ensured. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.